Who here has a brother or sister? Hands up. Okay, hands down. Who here thinks they know something about sibling rivalry? Yep, if you've got a brother or a sister or children, then you know about sibling rivalry because it exists to one degree or another in every family where there are siblings. Uh, Obadiah is speaking into a situation where sibling rivalry has been blown out of all proportion. In fact, a case of sibling rivalry, or more specifically, animosity between two brothers, has been upscaled to the point where it's affecting the conduct of two neighboring nations. So we're going to find out about this situation. Uh, We're going to look at Obadiah's message, and we're going to think about how it's relevant to us today. Firstly, the situation. Now, there's something that I've been reminding you of every week that we've been doing this series on the Minor Prophets, and it's not a bad thing that I have been, because if we don't understand this, then a lot of the Old Testament just won't make any sense. So we know that after the reign of King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split in two, you had the northern and the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom of Israel was finally defeated by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The people were deported and they never returned. So that's the northern kingdom. They became known as as, uh, the ten lost tribes of Israel. They're out the picture for good. Then you have the southern kingdom of Judah, which held out for a couple of hundred years more, but then they were overcome by the Babylonians in 587 BC. And the people of Judah were also carried off into exile. But they returned to Jerusalem after about 70 years. Uh, So Obadiah was most likely writing about halfway through that 70-year period of exile. Uh, He's probably writing from Babylon, um, where the, the southern kingdom, Judah, were taken off into captivity. Obadiah is the shortest book of the Old Testament, a mere 21 verses, and it's a message from God, not to Israel, but to the nation of Edom. The Edomites lived to the east of Israel in the rocky, mountainous terrain on the other side of the Dead Sea, and they lived high up in the rocks. They actually carved into the rocks to create beautiful uh, buildings and dwellings. Uh, In fact, the most a famous Edomite city, and one that still stands today, is the uh, uh, Petra in Jordan. I don't know whether you've heard of Petra. You, you may have seen it on National Geographic or Discovery Channel. Uh, it's an archaeological site. Uh, but to understand Obadiah, uh, we need to understand where the nation of Edom came from in the first place. Where did Edom come from? And to understand that we've got to go back to Genesis. So in Genesis, you've got the story of the patriarchs. You've got Abraham and Sarah, and then Isaac and Rebekah. And Rebekah gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. And we're told that those twins were fighting even in their mother's womb. Esau was born first, and he was actually holding on to his brother's heel, almost like he's trying to pull him back and get past him. Uh, The name uh, Jacob actually means heel grabber or 
uh, deceiver. And we know that Jacob and Esau were very different characters, but to cut a long story short, Jacob persuaded his brother, who was starving hungry after a day's hunting, he persuaded him to give up his birthright, the, the rights as a, as a firstborn son, in exchange for a portion of stew. Now, that's not a very good deal. And I think younger brothers can often be uh, quite ruthless. Uh, my brother Rob is three and a half years older than me. And when he was a teenager, he always wanted money so that he could go out with his friends. And I was pretty good at saving, so he'd always come to me and he'd try and sell me all this stuff that he didn't want or use anymore. And I would try and drive a, a hard bargain. And uh, on one occasion, he sold me his entire collection of Star Wars figures for five pounds. Uh, it was a terrible deal for him, but he was desperate. Uh, he actually got his own back in the end because he removed all the Star Wars figures from my parents' attic, not just the ones he sold me, but my original collection as well. So this huge collection, he took them all and gave them to his boys. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that there are no hard feelings about those Star Wars figures, even though I'm bringing it up years later. There really are no hard feelings. But things like that can cause friction. And if something like that can cause friction between brothers, then selling your birthright and then later being tricked out of your father's blessing, then that could cause real problems, couldn't it, between Jacob and Esau. So it started with Jacob and Esau. Jacob got Esau's blessing and he became known as Israel, as of course did his descendants. And Esau became known as Edom, together with his descendants. So you have this original story of these two brothers that are, are, are really at each other. And so it's Israel and Esau, those brothers, and they become known as, sorry, Jacob and Esau, those two brothers, they become known as Israel and Edom, those nations. And family feuds tend to perpetuate. So when there's animosity between two brothers and then they've got families of their own, you can end up with animosity between two families and then eventually animosity between two people groups, two nations. And that's what happened here. And throughout the Old Testament, there's evidence of this animosity between Israel and Edom. Uh, of course, we're reading the Old Testament, so we get a purely Israelite perspective. Uh, but it certainly seems that the Edomites were vindictive towards uh, Israel. In the book of Numbers, we read that Edom barred Israel's way when they were approaching the Promised Land. So Israel had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're about to enter the land that God had promised to give them. And Edom stood in the way, didn't want them to pass through their territory. In the books of two kings and two chronicles, we read of war between these two nations. For example, in 2 Chronicles 28 verse 17, it says, The Edomites had again come and attacked Judah and carried away their prisoners. That word again implies that this was something that was happening all the time. There are problems between Israel and Edom. But worst of all, in 587 BC, Edom joined in the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and it was purely opportunistic. Uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, what was left of Israel, was getting a kicking from the Babylonians, and Edom came and stuck the boot in. 
And there are lots of references to this in the Old Testament, and particularly in the book of Obadiah. And we're going to look at those references because we come now to Obadiah's message. But the important thing is that we understand that these two nations, Israel and Edom, originated with these two brothers that uh, had this animosity between them, Jacob and Esau, because Obadiah often refers to these nations as Jacob and Esau and talks about these nations as if they are still two brothers. And Obadiah picks up on the fact that Israel and Edom had close ties. They had familial ties. They shared ancestry. And he even mentions Jacob and Esau by name. So they should have been close allies, but when Babylon attacked Jerusalem... Edom used that as an opportunity to get one over on Israel. Edom wanted to precipitate Israel's annihilation, to wipe them off the face of the earth. And it was for this that Obadiah announced God's judgment on Edom. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. That was the crux of Obadiah's message. And even from our passage, we can see clearly what Edom did do to Israel. Verse 10, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, in other words, against uh, Judah, what's left of Israel. Verse 11, on the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. In other words, the Edomites were just like the invading Babylonians. Verse 12, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. They were gloating, rejoicing, and boasting over Israel's defeat. Verse 13 says that they seized the Israelites' wealth. Verse 14, they cut down their fugitives. Uh, They murdered the refugees or sold them back into slavery. By today's standards, we would say that Edom was guilty of the most heinous war crimes against Israel. And now it's too late for Edom. This once proud nation is on the verge of being brought low. Uh, They thought they were invincible. They thought they acted with impunity. Verse 3, who can bring me down to the ground? That was Edom's boast. Proverbs 16, 18 says... Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. You often hear that condensed to pride goes before fall, which is the title of this sermon. And it reminds me of the proud, rich, arrogant men like Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein who preyed on those young girls and probably boasted to themselves that they would get away with it because they were so rich and powerful and had such strong connections, they thought they were uh, impervious to the law. Well, Edom was not only brought low, but it ceased to exist altogether. Obadiah's prophecy was fulfilled. Verse 4, though you soar like the eagles and make your nest among the stars, they literally lived high up. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. But Obadiah's prophecy was not just for Edom, who'd, who'd... perpetrated these terrible crimes against Israel. Because in verse 15 it says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. So what we see is that Edom's pride and fall 
is an image of the fall of all powerful nations. You know the name Adam, as in Adam and Eve, literally means humanity. And in Hebrew, the same letters that are used to make the word Adam or Adam uh, are used to make the word Edom. There's that close connection because Edom represents prideful humanity that will be judged on the final day of the Lord. God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among the nations. So that's a lot to take in there. So we're just going to do a quick recap of where we got to so far. Jacob and Esau were rival twins, and their descendants become known as Israel and Edom. They share in the same ancestry, so they should be allies, but there's animosity between them. And we see that play out in history, and we read about it in the Old Testament. Uh, Until finally, Edom capitalizes on Judah's defeat at the hands of the Babylonians. And uh, Edom are like a pack of hyenas moving in on a wounded lion, the lion of Judah. So God pronounces his judgment on Edom, which is actually an image of God's judgment on all the proudful nations of the world. So how is any of this relevant to us? Well, the world we live in is very different from the one that Obadiah lived in. But uh, sinful human nature and its uh, devastating, destructive influence remains unchanged. The nations remain proud. In the Western world, the nations have become proud and self-sufficient to the point of trying to do away with God altogether. Humanity has become so wise that it no longer thinks that it needs God. And the pride and the arrogance of the nations still leads to exploitation today. Stronger nations seize on the weakness, the vulnerability, and the misfortune of uh, other nations, just as Edom did with Israel. Sometimes that's through military action. In today's world, it's often by more subtle means, uh, giving huge loans to uh, small nations that can never be repaid. It's a way of taking uh, a certain amount of control over that nation, providing much-needed infrastructure, uh, and then extracting the country's mineral resources and wealth. And of course, the gulf uh, between rich and poor uh, in, in, in our world, on the world stage, highlights the corruption of the world economy. Clearly, this final day of judgment hasn't yet come on the nations, this day that Obadiah was talking about. We're still waiting for the final day of the Lord when Jesus returns to judge the nations once and for all. The world is blatantly unjust, but when Jesus returns, justice will be done. The wrongs will be put right. People these days talk a lot about karma, hear a lot about karma, don't you? That mysterious force that ensures that what goes around comes around. You may have seen the instant karma uh, compilations on YouTube. You know, someone will go to kick their mate up the backside and they'll miss and slip over on the ice. Or a car will overtake another car and then it turns out they've overtaken an unmarked police car and they get pulled over straight away. If people get in their just desserts immediately. And I think people like the idea of karma because deep down, we want to know that there is some justice in the world. Well, as Christians, we don't believe in karma, but we do believe in accountability. 
nations and individuals are held accountable to God. We will face God's just and righteous judgment. Of course, we needn't fear that day because Jesus died in our place. If we belong to Christ, we will receive a verdict of not guilty. But we live in a world where evil deeds do go undetected and unpunished, where people do seem to get away often with the most heinous crimes, a world in which lovely, godly people suffer inexplicably. It's a great consolation to know that in the end, justice will be done. This is what God said to Edom. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. That sounds like karma. It's not karma, it's accountability. Obadiah helps us to see that the pride and injustice that we see on a national level will be judged and brought to an end. But the book might also help us to clarify certain behaviors that we need to turn away from. You know, whenever we read the prophets, we should ask ourselves, well, what are they condemning? And am I in some way guilty of that same thing? And the first thing is pride, pride in their might, verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? The Edomites thought they were impenetrable high up there in their rocky fortresses. And often we have a feeling of invincibility, don't we? Especially when we're young. Well, the sooner we realize our weakness and our vulnerability and our need for God, the better. They took pride in their riches, verse 6. But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. We have this delusion that so long as we're financially secure, we're okay. But it's simply not true. I mean, in this world, you can get away with a lot if you're rich. And we've seen that in various uh, situations that have emerged uh, recently. But God has no regard for our wealth. They took pride in their allies, verse 7. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Relationships are important. And our friends and our family should be super important. But ultimately, there is only one relationship that we can rely on completely. And that's our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Finally, they took pride in their wisdom, verse 8. In that day, declares the Lord, Will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Well, Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Without uh, without reverence uh, for God, there is no wisdom. So that's pride. The pride that leads us to put our trust in things that aren't God. Then we see the Edomites' failure to act against injustice. Verse 11, on the day you stood aloof, in other words, you stood and did nothing, while strangers carried off his wealth, Jacob's wealth. We looked at our commitment to justice last week, so I won't labor the point now. You can always go back and watch that sermon online. Uh, And then in verse 12, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do we ever gloat? Do we ever gloat? I mean, if you've got a sibling, you know all about gloating. When I was a boy, I used to love it when my brother used to get into trouble. In fact, my own kids helpfully suggest punishments for each other. 
uh, you know, no television for 10 years. They need to be tied to a stake in the garden for two weeks. Bamboo under the fingernails, those sorts of things. Don't worry, we don't implement those, so you don't need to report us. But we can carry that gloating over into adulthood and not just with our siblings. We should never relish someone else's misfortune. And finally, verse 13 says, don't gloat nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. Well, we're not going to go into someone's house and take their uh, TV and their iPad, but people do profit from other people's misfortune. A good example is the media. Someone makes some mistake, get something wrong, and it's splashed all over the media at their expense and the media's profit, the media's gain. Or someone makes a mistake at work and you take the opportunity to shine, maybe get a promotion. I guess that's the equivalent of seizing their wealth in the day of their disaster. But that isn't how we conduct ourselves as Christians, or it shouldn't be. In Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus said, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And now that we're studying the prophets, I think we can see more than ever that these words of Jesus uh, really do sum up what the prophets were trying to say in their own day and in our day. So Obadiah points to Edom's pride as an example of the human condition. And amazingly, we can see today in the 21st century, people and nations still do the very things that Edom was guilty of. And God will bring judgment in the final day of the Lord. But God's judgment is never the last word in the prophets. At the end of the book, Obadiah points forward to the day when God's kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness will be established over all the nations. And we continue to look forward to that day, to look forward to the day of Jesus' return. And as the uh, writer of Revelation said, so we echo, come Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that uh, there's a lot of injustice and oppression and violence and pride uh, in the world, both on an individual and on a national level. And we thank you that one day uh, the pride of the nations will be judged. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to die for us, that we can put our trust in you and be forgiven for the times when we do the same sort of things that Edom did uh, that we're reading about today. And so we look forward to Jesus' coming, and we pray that in the here and now, we'll be ambassadors of peace and justice and love and righteousness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.